Hey everybody, there are a ton of ways that you can follow us online. We've got our website, realnerdspodcast.com, that you can go to and you can read articles and find the podcast episodes there as well. If you like social media, you can follow us on Facebook at Real Nerds Podcast or on Twitter and Instagram at Real Nerds. You can also call us anytime and leave a voicemail at 720-6-NERDS-5 and then we'll play your voicemail on the show. Thanks for listening. I hope you like us. Real Nerds Podcast, and every week we go see a new movie and we podcast our experience to the world. This week, however, we're streaming because of a pandemic that's ruining everybody's lives. Hooray! I mean, boo! Yeah, so this week we streamed David Fincher's latest, written by his late father, Mm -hmm. Mank. So um, stay tuned to the end of the show. We'll play the trailer. Uh, We'll tell you if you should see the film or not, play the trailer, and then we'll uh, discuss the film. We also talk about movies that are coming out on Blu-ray, movie news, movies we've been watching. Um, You know, 2020 has not been the best year for movies because of the pandemic. Um, And, you know, it just keeps on punching us in the dick more and more. Um, Except for Corinne. And because because she's a female. Um, so, Thanks for clarifying, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm pointing that out there. But I'm joined on Zoom once again because, again, uh, we're, we are following um, government health officials' protocols where not merging more than one house, two households together. Uh, I'm with Brad. Hey. Zach. Hello. And Corinne. Hi. I mean, just to clarify, this year's been shit for me, too, but I guess it's just, like, proverbially kicked me in the dick. There we go. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I just didn't want to say kick Hitting me in the dick. Hitting below the belt. There you go. Then we, th- there we go. Then we'd have to have a, a you know, it'd be way, different. Way, way to use classy, high-class high words there, Corinne. Proverbial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me, I'm, like, in the dick. <laughs> <laughs> me, I'm, like, in the, <laughs> in, in the dick hole. Wow. I mean, I don't feel quite as well-read as the main character in our movie this week. God, watching that, I was like, "Mm, some literary nerd shit coming out here. Mm, I'm kind of liking this. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. Well, I guess we'll pull this Band-Aid off. This is real news. It's real news. Um, okay, uh, do we want to start with the shitty news we heard today or the shitty news we heard earlier in the week? Uh, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter? Okay, I'll start with the local news that popped up today. Um, Real Nerds listeners will know that we have attended Denver Comic Con and then Denver Pop Culture Con um, for since 2012. Um, obviously, there was not one this year, and it was just announced through a... Um, uh, press release that there will not be one next year and the writing of the press release indicates that the end is virtually near for pop culture con in general this is friggin terrible like this is it's it's pretty awful 
Yeah, know. you know, my uh, my only hope is because it was so successful that they'll find a way to have a Comic-Con here. Um, it, you know, there's so much going on in this fucking shit of a world right now that you uh, you want to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but mm-hmm. you keep on getting punched in the face and you want it to end. And it never truly ends. And it's been a fucking nightmare. And every time you feel like there's progress made, you know, then there's more news coming out where more people are dying and more people are getting sick. And I don't know when this country we live in, which is the greatest country in the world, will start taking it a little more seriously. Mm-hmm. So we can, um, if, cause people want to get back to how life was, but by ignoring health protocols is just keeps on pushing us further, further away. And keep going. Sorry. No, I'm uh, you, you just derailed me. Zach, what's up? No, I was going to read the full press release uh, for okay. us, for, for everybody. Um, the events this of this year have forced us to cancel Denver pop culture con 2021. We had to cancel in 2020 and uncertainty around large public gatherings. Isn't going away anytime soon. Considering the impact on the pe- that the pandemic has had on our organization and budget, it just won't be possible in 2021 to hold the kind of show people have come to, ex- to expect. Without the planned revenue for the event in 2020 and now 2021, we've been forced to eliminate staff positions related to the annual event. We are shifting our efforts and staffing to focus on our core educational mission going forward, and we'll be providing as many opportunities for pop culture-based education, instruction, and creative community connection as we can in the face of a challenging public health environment and serious budgetary constraints. So there is the, 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 the if there's optimism out of this is that they are going to continue working on the, um, uh, the pop culture classroom, which is still a very helpful, useful educational tool, but that's what I find even sadder, just as sad, if not even sadder is that people who, made this their livelihood have had their jobs eliminated as well. Yeah. And unfortunately there's not much they can do because they're not bringing any money in. (laughs) So, um, for two straight years. Yeah. So that it's brutal because, um, I'm sure I've shared this story, but you know, um, before Zach was even, uh, a glimmer in the real nerd's eye, um, it was just James, Brad and I, and we went to the Sea Film Center in Denver, and we saw Comic-Con, A Fan's Hope, um, uh, the documentary by Morgan Spurlock. And as we were leaving, we met this lady named Beth, super nice lady who was handing out, what was she handing out? Was it buttons, Brad, or just stickers? Well, I don't remember. Um, anyway, postcards. She had, she had like, yeah, like a little uh, table, and she was part of Denver Comic-Con. They're just on the ground. They're trying to get it started. And she said, you guys are a podcast. We have a thing called Podcast Peak. And where they gave you a space to podcast from there for free. And she wanted us to be a part of it. And just by us going to see that movie at that specific time on that specific day opened up a world that I never thought I would ever be a part of. Mm -hmm. You know, because I mean, I've been to cons and I've gone to the panels but to be a person that sits on stage with Kevin Conroy or um, sweet smelling James Marsters, you know, I, 
I don't know how to put it into words of how lucky I am. And, you know, uh, bringing it all the way uh, back to, you know, we also met Alex Sullivan, who tragically died in the Aurora shooting. We met him at Denver Pop Culture Con. And I actually met him about two weeks before at Mile High's kickoff or the night before. I forget what it was. And, um, you know, he was so nice to us. And he just talked to me in line. I was in line wearing my real nerd shirt. And he said he listened to us. And he became one of our best listeners ever. He would always tweet us and, um, you know, just how our lives have changed throughout it. And as you can chart it through Denver uh, Comic-Con and just to have it not be there for two years in a row, it it really truly breaks my heart Um, Mm -hmm. because you you create these lasting memories. And, you know, we had such a presence there that everybody always expected us there. And it was really cool to have programming directors and people that are in charge of panels and celebrities tell me that we did, we do such a great job that they'll run up to us 20 minutes before a panel and say, uh, Hey Ryan, can you please do the X-Men panel? (laughs) I go, sure. Um, And you know, it's, it's really cool to have that. And it, it is a part of me that I really miss this year when you get past the stress when you get past everything we have to do to get ready nothing's more fun than sitting down and talking to fellow pop culture fans. And I just hope that um, someday it will come back and you can put it down that we will be there. Um, And yeah, that's just something I I will miss. And I I, I have missed the, um, uh, I will, can I, if, if I could share from what happened when I first went as part of the podcast two years ago, um, I had never moderated a panel before and I ended up doing three that year and doing it there in that very positive space where everybody in that, both in the audiences and in the participants and the staff there were so kind and accommodating that I was able to get over a, a bit of a fear of public speaking on stuff that isn't stuff I've been working on with fellow filmmakers. So that was like a really big deal for me to get up. I did the KJ APA panel and my heart was racing the entire time. And that, the, by cut to the next year when I ended up doing uh, the Wolf and the Crows um, on the last day of the con, like I was able to get up there and not feel afraid to be able to, address a crowd of people because i'm not a game of thrones watcher and yet i was able to run that panel just fine it's because the people around that convention the staff the volunteers they're all such lovely adorable people and the fact that the fact that they're the fact that this experience is being removed right now not just this year but for next year and I hope it doesn't continue onward. I hope they do find a way to get it back. Cause that is a, that's a weekend I cherish now. I was cherishing for these last two years. So, um, and I can't imagine what, I mean, obviously Ryan just shared, but like Brad and James, you know, they've been going to this since 2012. So this, this cuts even deeper for you guys. Brad, what's your, uh, what's your favorite memory from Denver comic-con? Oh gosh. Uh, my memory is not great. Uh, I, I think uh, you old I, fuck. <laughs> I think just the thing I look forward to most was like just preparing for the con. 
like getting mm-hmm. all of our shirts and uh, now glasses designed and, you know, figuring out how to make the booth the best it could be and uh, podcasting from there and like seeing people respond to our merch. Um, yeah, I never did the, I never did the panels or interviewed anyone. So I was always just taking a behind the scenes role. So um, it was always, you know, stressful to, not, so, well, not really stressful, but just like there's so much sensory overload that's mm-hmm. kind of paralyzing at times. So that like, that's another reason why I can't remember a lot of, what, you know, happens from year to year, but uh, definitely the first two years, like those are the ones I remember the most because, you know, like you said, we, we went to that mile high comics uh, pre-event before the first one met Alex Sullivan. Um, and then uh, just meeting all the people, like all the friends we have now from like this uh, come from a lot of that first, uh, second one. Oh yeah. Uh, I remember uh, the Adam, the amazing zombie killer guys, like yeah. s- sneaking into the con, sitting down, and I didn't get what they were trying to do until you sit down and talk to them and see uh, their films and see what they're, they're attempting. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you go, oh, now I get these guys. Yeah, that was wild. And, like, yeah, they did that. And then, you know, six months later, I'm going to open screen night, and there they are again, you know, promoting yeah. their movie. And, um, like I, apparently they'd been going there while I was already going there. And like, we never recognized each other until, huh. yeah, they did that. Um, you know, they came to our booth before the Chicago opened and got that interview in. So yeah, stuff like that. Um, what was it? I had another one. Here, here. Yeah. Just like having that booth in the corner, oh. like before they got really like organized, you know, those first two years you could, there's like more free reign to, you know, you know, stretch out, like pull other tables that yeah. didn't show up into your, in your orbit, um, mm-hmm. hang, sign, hang signs where you wanted to, uh, we, like we even blasted music and like movie soundtracks across That's the right. aisle, uh, before they put a, uh, the kibosh on that. So, um, yeah, we used to have a, like a TV monitor there. We'd play, um, trailers and stuff in the pod show. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's always uh sorry brad there's always moments that i'll always cherish um i'll never forget when we had the pod show i I don't know if it was the same year or it had been when it just came out and that dude from florida came up asked for a poster and our autographs because he watched us and you go what the fuck is this (laughs) and uh yeah autographing our stuff that's yeah that means a lot and and uh you know to the last year or I guess the year before, well, I guess it'll be last year um, when people, when it opened early for the VIP people and they were running to our booth to get our glasses, you know? Oh yeah. And you know, that's something you can't put a price on. And I, you know, I really should reach out because, you know, we, we developed a great friendship with uh, George's Genty and I I should see if he'd be willing to do a zoom uh, interview because he's been really busy and he's done a lot this last year. And I really wanted to talk to him and um, you know, those friendships that you make that you never thought you would have, you know, um, the the monster squad people, you know, the movie I grew up with and the actors in it just, I don't know, you know, just make you feel so good. And those are the memories I remember yeah. And, you know, totally um, fucking over Zach and James by always agreeing to do the panels, even when they overlapped. And I would have to go to them, like, you know, with my tail between my legs, say, hey, can you pick one of these 
and I'll do whatever one you don't want to do. Um, oh. But but that <laughs> I, I mean I, I just I think you never to, asked us to like do anything we didn't want to do. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but my over eagerness and always wanting to please the con people sometimes mm-hmm. put us in compromising positions. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I got you, got you. Yeah. And uh, but you guys always bailed me out. So yeah, um, yeah I will say the. I met when I met Brian Cummings at the con, my first one there, like I, I, that's a, that's a guy I need to reach out to. Cause he and I would swap st- old timey business show business stories. Like, yeah, it's just, it's just incredible. The people you meet there. Like, yeah. I forgot, uh, Michael Uselin, uh, from that first year. I'll, uh, I'll never you, forget that one. Yeah. He was at the mile high comics pre party thing. We got his book and then, yeah, he, he came on the show, um, the next day um yeah, and that's one of those ones too where he made time for uh, it yeah he, yeah brad remember that because we were so nervous because he's one of those names you saw and then you you put a face to it, you go oh i know who this guy is and i'll never forget my conversation with him is i said hey would you make time for some local uh podunk podcast and he said yeah and he, I, i'll always remember his advice he said you know he did the same thing with Batman. You should pick up his book, The Boy Who Loves Batman. It's great. Um, but he said, you just walk in and you kick the door in and you say, hey, this is what I want to do. Are you going to give it to me or not? And if they don't give it to you, then whatever. You just move on. And I remember, uh, Brad, I, I don't know if you do, when we went to the panel before his, because uh, we wanted to see his, he sat down right next to us and he says, hey, I'm doing your podcast after this, right? And uh it kind of legitimized our podcast in a way. And to this day, I still have his, the dark Knight steel book autographed by him and um, that he made time for us. Cause he also invited us behind his booth and just a cool dude. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I'll say that, you know, I was, I haven't been to comic con or sorry, pop culture con. Um, I was really looking forward to going this year in 2020 My friend Jerry, whom I've talked about on the show before, he's a comic book artist, and he was going to have a table, and he invited me to be a VIP uh, for him, and I was really excited to get to go and uh, and experience Comic-Con, and, you know, obviously everything that happened um, wasn't able to, and now hearing, like, oh, it's not going to happen in 2021 either, understandably so, but... Um, it's, uh, I know it's really tough news for him because uh, like, he and, you know, a lot of other artists like really rely on getting, oh, yeah. you know, making those connections and, yeah. and meeting fans and, and networking and everything. And I know it's such a huge opportunity for him and other artists and they're going to miss that. And I really hope that people will support their local artists and comic book artists, especially. So, you know, somehow I know there are still like small networking events that have been going on and virtual things and stuff, but, um, you know, do what you can to support your local businesses and local artists because this isn't going to happen this year. Yeah. I was going to say there's still like, well, I don't know what the fate of them are, but you know, they haven't thrown in the towel yet officially, but, uh, Dink, the, uh, independent comics expo, um, is usually, uh, still around and then Rocky mountain con, uh, which is usually in like late November, you know, they might be back. So there's still other opportunities for artists like that to get out there and Starfest even um, yeah. will take in uh, authors and uh, graphic uh, novelists, you know, into their 
get a booth into their space. So we'll see sure, how that goes. Pop culture con is just so big. You know, it's thousands of people go to comic con or pop culture con where they wouldn't go to Starfest or dink or any of those other ones. And honestly, that's why I hold out hope that it will come back. Um, because I think, you know, it became such a part of Denver culture in the summer that I, I hope that it will. Um, yeah. But it, I'd be but surprised to, though, because it, it's a lot to expect those people that run it to hang around without oh. you know, any revenue for who knows if, uh, you know, they can even come back in 2022. So I, I, I agree. I hope um, too that celebrities and comic companies and entertainment companies will realize how tough this has been on the industry as a whole and kind of help all these cons around the country get their footing again. And I'm guessing they would, because I mean, like, you know, if you go to pop culture con and you're Bruce Campbell and you charge $75 for an autograph and every autograph session you have is sold out. I mean, that's a lot of money they're missing out too. So I'm just saying that hopefully the whole artistic community can come together and, um, help these cons get back on their feet why can't we start a con i was thinking that i was thinking that just now brad like why can't we just hold some kind of small thing together we've we've already got an extra thousand (laughs) dollars laying around (laughs) so uh an entire convention for a thousand dollars right yeah we're we're on this pod con (laughs) i mean i mean i know we can get stan lee i know that much so Wait, we can dig up Stanley. No, 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 because because oh, yeah, you're gonna pretend to be him. <laughs> yeah, soil his legacy. Have to, we're, we have to, yeah, and Brian, you'll have to be Bruce Campbell, and uh, uh, Brad, you can be Christopher Nolan, because why not? <laughs> well, if it's a virtual one, I know that Sylvester Stallone will be able to make an audio <laughs> greeting to everybody. <laughs> Stallone, what was it like working on Rambo The Last Blood? Well, you know, I was just trying to kill a lot of people. It worked out really well for me, you know? First one guy stabbed, and the other guy shot. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the last movie had uh, six kills, so I decided, why not 30? <laughs> you know, yeah. not too many uh, throat ropings, uh kills, you know, but sometimes you got to cut those out. So there I was, watching Home Alone, and I was like, why can't I? (laughs) (laughs) So, Mr. Stallone, will you make a Laster Blood? (laughs) Oh, it is. I I saw that paint can smash Joe Pesci in the face, and I was like, why not have that paint can explode? (laughs) Or just do a Rambo and Home Alone crossover and call it, like, a bloody Home Alone. Yes. There you go. That's what the reboot Disney needs to do. Get on that, guys. You know, I would say if you have Mortal Kombat or you should get it, just to hear Stallone voice Rambo and say Mortal Kombat lines is pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, you, gonna do it. Yeah, it's like you have these ridiculous, you know, like Shao Kahn will say something like uh, this, uh, this war you brought on yourself and then Rambo will say but I didn't draw first blood. And you go, yes, that's awesome. You need to and, call and me the, when they, you need to call me when they get the Colonel Troutman uh, DLC in there and then I'll yeah. play it. Well, you know, then they have Peter Weller as RoboCop and that's pretty awesome. What? Really? 
Yeah, and then it's a bummer that they got a sound alike for Schwarzenegger's Terminator. You know what I mean? Oh. Just get, if they would have had the real Schwarzenegger, it would have been awesome. He was too busy rolling around in the tank in his front yard. Like, he's <laughs> I think got he was taking the Iron Mask at the time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, let's hold out hope for some more Comic Cons in our future, or pop culture cons in our future, guys. But, but like um, Corinne said, reach out to your local artists and um, help them out, buy stuff off their websites. Yep. As well as anybody, if there's uh, local people in Denver who go do their booths like Brian Cummings each year, so, uh, reach out to them. Like I know Brian Cummings has a voice, ar- voice artist workshop. I don't know if it's doing anything virtual right now, but look it up. Um, anyway, I'll move on from the local disaster to the what the fuck um, across the nation because Warner Brothers dropped a not unexpected bombshell, but a bombshell nonetheless – its entire 2021 slate will be debuting both in HBO Max form and in theaters simultaneously. So this is basically the Wonder Woman deal we're getting this year times a bazillion because you're going to be getting the Suicide Squad, Dune, The Matrix 4, Tom and Jerry, Judas and the Black Messiah, like Space Jam, the new Space Jam. That's, That's how it's all coming out now, so... Well, you know, at the end of the day, I've been saying this for a few weeks, probably a few months on this podcast. Yeah. Um, they're eventually going to get to a point where they have to start releasing the films because they're still making movies right now. And whether it's going to keep on pushing every movie back and eventually you have three years of backlog and not making any money off of all this money you've invested into these movies. No, it, it does. It does make it's financial set for them. You sense for them. Yeah. I. It, it's tough. I don't know. I don't know the right answer to this to tell you the truth. I don't. Because I, I don't want anything to happen to theaters. Mm-hmm. But, what are, but what are movie people who make movies supposed to do? I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. I think that... This seems like a fair compromise to it, put it, it on both platforms simultaneously. It, it is. I think what the, the issue that theater owners are having, which I sort of understand, well, I, I understand it, is that you know, they weren't even brought in on these plans like they were on the Wonder Woman one. And AMC is definitely not happy. Uh, Cinemark was a little bit more um, cordial with their response. So like there's it, it, this, this, everybody's getting affected by this virus. And it's not to say that theaters are more important than other, you know, businesses and such, but theaters are, theaters have been, Console television. They're always in a crisis mode of some sort, whether from lost revenue or just changing technology. So, like this is this is a bigger deal than it's been. I'm being freaked out over like, oh no, theaters are going away. Um, I don't think theaters will ever fully go away because ultimately people will want to go to that communal experience. There'll always be a business for it. Um, but I'll tell you, when I saw the news drop, I saw. Twitter comments and responses where people were clapping this news because they don't like going to the movie theater. I'm like, well, that doesn't mean you have to be mean to people or to the theater business itself. Like they didn't cause you any harm directly. Like, I'm like, I I didn't get that hatred at all. That, that was baffling to me. Like, why are you cheering the death of an industry that's going to cost a lot of people their jobs? Like hundreds of thousands of jobs will be lost if theaters actually die. Um, but I think it regardless, could be like yeah. a really good like interim solution. Just as like, if they just did it for 2021, 
But I think what might happen is, like, people get, like, a taste for it of, like, oh, they just, like, have an expectation. Like, our big blockbuster is going to be, like, available on streaming tomorrow. And, you know, they don't have to go to the theater anymore. So it's, like, yeah, if you're doing it just as short term, that's fine. You know, and then, you know, everything is going to be back in theaters in 2022 and everybody will go out to it and it'll be great. But if you're going to, I don't know, I, I think, like, the studios might want to keep this model because it's like, hey, at least you're getting money out of it. I don't know if they like, can. I don't know if they can know. financially keep this model if they have s- several two hundred million dollar movies coming out a year. Because yeah. even I, I was reading, there's a great breakdown on Variety. I I forget the article. I forgot to share it. But it's something like for Wonder Woman to make its money back just through streaming. HBO Max has to add another like 30 million subscribers or something. Mm-hmm. So Well, I'm thinking it, about subscribing now that they well, said I all mean, these I, movies are going to be out. I mean, you I mean they're you're going to have to um but if, I mean also too if Warner won't have to. I mean if if for some miracle that you know everything goes down, people are vaccinated and it you know in April May they can start opening again. I can see maybe Warner Brothers saying, you know what? We're just going to put them out in the theaters. Um, That's what I'm looking for is like, yeah. why can't retroactively a streaming movie get a theatrical release? Like, yeah, I think that's what they're going to do. I think that's why they announced that they're going to put them out on HBO max to drive their subscriptions up because they're not making any money anywhere else. And yeah. then eventually even like, if they oh. just had it on a one week delay. That would be fine with me, you know, release, Wonder Woman on in theaters on Christmas Day, and then put it on HBO Max on New Year's Day. Boom. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, and there's an incentive for you to go to the movies if you want to and if you can, but you're not having to wait that long to see it if you just want to stream it at home. Well, too, I mean, the, uh, there's also the caveat on the HBO Max is they're only available for one month. In some form or fashion to. AMC and Cinemark and Regal because they, it's not like I, I, I'm not going to use, them, but it's that's a cordial thing that needs to happen. Yep, we'll figure out what's going on. I can't on. remember. <laughs> did Regal say that when they would be reopening? They so. put a timeline on their closure. Cineworld, Cine the parent company, mm-hmm. announced. They are looking to release to open up within the first quarter of 2021, okay. but that's Cineworld. That Cineworld owns owns Regal Theaters, but it's that's not its only thing. So I there's no I didn't read to say that we're going to be opening up the ones in the U.S. Cineworld is a international company and it's primarily UK based. So, um, so that, that remains to be seen. Uh, there's a follow up though piece on on this front though is that. Agreement, which is putting out Dune um, and Godzilla versus Kong, is looking to take legal action against Warner over the day and date release of its films on HBO Max, um, and uh, they are they're going to be basically claiming that Legendary wasn't consulted before the unprecedented streaming release um, uh, bombshell was announced. So there might be people within these companies that are. Uh, in your aspects of the of them that will hold, stand up and go like well hold on hold on hold on we weren't 
we weren't notified of this. So what, what, what the fuck? Um, so, cause it's, I mean, all this news seems like HBO and or Warner media just decided to drop it all of a sudden out of nowhere, like not out of nowhere, but like, like, it's almost like they just push, push the button and said a prayer instead of, you know, like consulting every single production company within the release. Cause it's not just Warner's heading everything. There's production companies tied into it financially. Um, <laughs> Well, and like I was saying earlier, this might be kind of like winning the battle but losing the war sort of thing. It's like you, and I get that they're trying to just, you know, get revenue where they can at this point. So it makes sense. Like, you know, we're just, you know, trying to find money somewhere. And, you know, gaining all these new subscribers is one thing. But like I said, I think you're changing people's expectations long term. And, they're just going to have this expectation now of like, well, I'll just watch it on streaming. I don't have to go to the movies and that's going to be bad for the theaters and the whole industry long-term. Right. But as, as stated, we'll see how this develops as time goes on. Um, At the very least, I am glad that films like um, Judah and the Black Messiah will get a release of some form within the coming months because that movie looked awesome. Um, Cry Macho, Clint Eastwood's new film is also part of that slate too. So, you know, I mean, there's, 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 it's not just the big, big blockbusters. It's also like their big push for drama, uh, for drama and other genres. We'll see. We'll see how everything plays out. Moving on though. Um, only have a couple other pieces. Um, it seems like the crown, uh, got tangled up in a UK government controversy that I wasn't aware of. Apparently, the UK government was asking Netflix to add a disclaimer to The Crown saying that it is a work of fiction. And uh, Netflix responded by saying, we have always presented The Crown as the drama, and we have every confidence in our members to understand it's a work of fiction that's broadly based on historical events. As a result, we have no plans and see no need disclaimer. Um sort of ties into what the other week is in terms of like disclaiming stuff up front, you know, like, I mean, they're, they're right. You, it's, it's pretty much implied because it's a dramatization that it is, it's going to be based on a true story. It's not a documentary. So and if I was, and if I was people working on the crown, I'd be like, uh, go fuck yourself. British empire. That's kind of basically what they did. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they dropped their, I mean, I don't know. I, I yeah, it's weird. Um, moving on uh, to uh, another piece of uh, pandemic-related news. Uh, the Academy Awards will not be going virtual for its 2021 um, broadcast. Um, now, the broadcast has been moved to April 25th, 2021, as a result of the extended deadline that films will be receiving to qualify for the awards based on all the rule changes they've had to make over the year. So, uh, in terms of, like, will there be an audience or whatever um, that I have not seen anything that indicates that they won't like have like a, some form of like interaction within that. You know, it's funny. They could feasibly go back to the way the Academy Awards started where everybody knew the winners in advance and only the winners show up. <laughs> like, yeah. Cause that, but then there's that, no drama. Yeah, there's no drama, but it's kind of just like it's it's sort of like podcasting. Everybody going to Zoom and going like, "Well, you expect there to be a bit of a you know delay and lag and whatnot." The Oscars could just be like, "Well, we had to we had to make do with what we had," you know. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, 
anyway, um, let's see. There's two more pieces of news, guys. Um, Legendary, it was mentioned earlier in a news article, they have another announcement to make. Peter Dinklage is going to be the new Toxic Avenger in a Toxic Avenger reboot. Um, for anybody who doesn't know what the Toxic Avenger is, it's a series of movies created by Troma, run by Lloyd Kaufman. Um, and uh, it looks like Macon Blair, uh, the director of I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, is set to direct this film. So that's interesting. Um, that's I, cool. <laughs> I have not seen the Toxic Avenger in a while. and I'm. It's not of, good. <laughs> no, I like – I had fun with it. It's, it's, it's a fun trauma movie. It's fun. Like trauma – Trauma movies need to be met on the level that trauma expects them to, which is just have fun. Um, so, but yeah, Peter Dinklage playing the Toxic Avenger, I'm totally down for that. I'm down for that for sure. Yeah. Um, and then the last piece of news that I have is, um, I guess a Metal Gear Solid movie is going to happen, and I guess Oscar Isaac is going to play Solid Snake. Um, I like that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, in in um in in a related piece of news, it looks like the Escape from New York reboot will never happen because that's pretty much what we're getting here. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I I don't know much of Metal Gear Solid apart from the fact that Snake Plissken inspired um the Solid Snake character. But um, uh, I mean, Ryan, do yeah, you it's, have any- it's well, I mean, it's really convoluted. But I used to always <laughs> love um going into the Codex. Uh-huh. Because you would have, you know, conversations with people and the guy who voiced Solid Snake, he he was like a cross between Kurt Russell and Kiefer Sutherland. So you, he'd always like contact, I don't know, like Fox or someone and they'd go, Snake, you got to make sure that, and they'd go on and on and on. And then Snake's only response would be, damn. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Brad, did you ever play the Metal Gear series? Uh, not really. I think I played the Twin Snakes on the GameCube, which is basically great, just one and two re-release. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't play it much because it requires an investment. So, yeah, I always uh, remember when we were working at GameStop though, and how many Zone of Enders we sold because Metal Gear Solid Two demo <coughs> came with it. Oh my god, yeah, that's old Playstations. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep, yeah. they're they're fun. They're really convoluted and they don't make much sense. But the first one's really great. The second one where you have to be Raiden, or I think they call him Raiden in it, is just, man, the story's cool, but you have to deal with this whiny bitch instead of Snake where he smokes and sneaks around in boxes and shoots people in the head, you know? I thought it was cool that, I don't, I don't remember if, like, I haven't played him, so I don't know what game it's in, but there's a part where you're playing as a character and then, they, like, the game freezes, and you think it's, like, your machine screwing up, but it's actually just the, the game tricking you into, like, resetting it. Yeah, well, they also have the villain Psychomantis, where he would delete your save files off of your uh, memory card, oh. and he would he would tell you he'd say, "Oh, you like playing Contra," and then he'd delete your fucking save files. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sure pain in the ass if you you know you're in the middle of uh, a game deep in, but. Uh, that's pretty. Well, that's creative. when you learned you only you had one memory card that had Metal Gear Solid on it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember memory cards used to be in blocks. <laughs> oh God, the ones you'd stick in the controller for like an N sixty four. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, block based. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess it's still kind of block based. The blocks are just yeah. smaller. Uh, all right, Zach. Anything else? Nope, that's it. 
Cool. Uh, Brad, are we able to go around town with you today? We are. Cool. Hey, film buddies. Follow me around Denver. So, yeah, the drive-in, miraculously, is still open through December 10th. Uh, 4th, 5th, and 6th, and 10th, you can see the Polar Express for Christmases and Lethal Weapon. Nice. Starting Whoa. at 5 o'clock. Really? Oh, shit. Ah. I'm yeah. going. So, that's pretty cool. Um, but they're not playing my favorite Christmas movie, Iron Man 3. It's a good or my one. second favorite one, Batman Returns. It's, Dang it. it. <laughs> yeah, they, they could do some Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, too. Fuck yes. <laughs> Guys, we're forgetting the ultimate one. They should be playing Psycho, because that is a Christmas movie. It's been verified. It, it, it would be great in a drive-in. And Die Hard, I guess, because why not? Um, it, interestingly enough, I was talking to the owner, and she said that the Polar Express is more popular there than Elf. Which I found hmm. hard to believe, and she had to switch it out. So, was she being paid by Bob Zemeckis? Like, yes, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe well, the I do, the presentation. I do know the Polar Express like has this following because every year they repackage that movie. Like, <laughs> IMAX 3D used to release it at least once a year, like one screening a year. Like, eh, yikes! I did not realize. I'm guessing the presentation of the projector at the drive-in allows you to not like be subjected to the soulless eyes of the characters <laughs> as clearly <laughs> as you would anywhere else. So that's probably why. It's just weird because Tom Hanks is a lively person. Why does his eyes look dead? It must just be the tech. God dang. Movie's cute, but... <laughs> I've never seen it. I don't know. I saw it as a kid. It's fine. Like, it's all right. Yeah. I remember the story being really adorable. I think it was a book back in the day. Yeah, it the is. Book. Yeah, the book has incredible art in it. I guess I wasn't Unlike a kid; I was like movie. a teenager. <laughs> yeah, but I heard they really stretched it out for the movie, so maybe I'll check it out at the drive-in. Yeah, I think the book's only like twenty pages, and it's all—it's like a picture book. So, good luck, Brad. <laughs> That's a punishment I would not wish on most people. Yeah, I remember like seeing where the wild things are, and then checking out the book and being like, "Wow, they took five pages." <laughs> Entered into that. That's that's <laughs> about an asshole kid who won't eat his dinner. <laughs> yeah, like they really ran turned, with that. Yeah, and then it turned into a movie about coming to terms with the divorce. It's Spike Jones, man. It's a good movie. And that's what's going on around town. Movies that are coming out on Blu-ray this week. You might want to get your ass to Mars. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Speaking of divorce movies, um, uh, you can get Total Recall in 4K. Um, the divorce. I yeah, love that movie. I'm. I, I'm just glad that the connection was able to be made. Um, <laughs> and also, um, but yeah, no, you get a nice steel book yeah. of it too, and uh, yeah, lots of options for you there. So go and go get your ass to Mars and get that 4K. Um, and then, Ryan, I guess you're in luck because you're going to get some more cruise in 4K because you're getting collateral in 4K, aren't you? Uh, I didn't order it. I, I, it's one of those movies, is it going to look good in 4K? I mean, I've read reviews where it looks pretty good. But, you know, it's that Michael Mann digital style yeah, movie. So I don't know. I might wait till that's the one, you know, drops to like 14 bucks or something. 
I need to rewatch Collateral. So Collateral. Maybe... I mean, it's an awesome movie, but yeah, but it's just like I haven't revisited in a while, so I I might might risk the 4K just to rewatch it alone because it'll also have the Blu-ray copy anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Tom Cruise is fucking amazing in it. So yeah, it's, was it's that one the year of... where Jamie Foxx was nominated for that and Ray? Yeah, he was nominated for supporting for Collateral and Best Actor right. in Ray, and then he won for Ray. That's right. God, man. Yeah. Stupid, useless trivia that I know. <laughs> I mean, now come on. We all remember the 2004 Academy Awards. I do because <laughs> a certain a certain old man who won't stop making movies stole an Oscar from another old man who won't stop making movies. Ah, that, that Oscar ceremony still pisses me off. Anyway, uh, also, Cinema Paradiso is coming to 4K through Arrow Academy. Um, it's a film that I, I've talked about on one of the film explosions. So if you want to. Check out Cinema Paradiso. Check it out. Um, KM Blu-ray, you can get Possessor Uncut, uh, Brandon Cronenberg's uh, film that came out this year. Um, and you can get through Arrow uh, versus Ultimate Versus, which is Raihu Kitamura films that you can check out. Um, and then another one of the big releases is The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. Uh, this is the reworked version of The Godfather Part 3 that uh, you can now pick up on Blu-ray and digital. You know what my least favorite thing about that coming out is? What? Is every headline is, just when you thought that you could get away from the Godfather movies, they pull you back in. <laughs> We're so yeah. funny. If, if, um, yeah, I've seen those headlines, Ryan, and um, I am, I'm in your camp. If I have to read one more, I'm going to hit my <laughs> head over the head with, over my, I'm going to hit my head with the computer and just hope to God that I just pass out. I'm going to um, hit my head over the head with the death of Michael Carleone and I'm going to fucking die from that stupid. Yeah. <laughs> just lazy writing. It really is. Uh, they, they come to me for headlines and all I can give them is the same <laughs> damn line. <laughs> um, uh, Westworld season three is also coming to 4k. So if you need to catch up on Westworld, do that. Um, and then Cohen Film Collection is putting out um, another in their series of Buster Keaton collections. This one, Volume 4, features Go West and College. Um, and so you can check those out if you'd like. Um, it looks like Sony has just decided to jump, dump all of its Jack Lemmon movies all at once. Because you can get uh, from 1954. You can get Operation Mad Ball from 1957. Uh, and you can get Good Neighbor Sam from 1964 and Under the Yum Yum Tree uh, from 1963. So yeah, lots of Jack Lemmon for you to dissect. Um, Kino Lorber is putting out a Rock Hudson collection from 1953 to 1954. You get the films Seminole, The Golden Blade, and Bengal Brigade. Um, he's so handsome. He is. He's so charming. Ryan, he's gay. Oh, no. So you have a chance. <laughs> With his corpse? Yuck. No, no, I guess that's true. <laughs> um, uh, and then also a movie called Smiley Face Killers, um, which I have not heard of, but is this a, um, uh, is this a thing, Ryan? I have no idea what it is, so sure. That's, that's interesting. Okay. It's, it's a menacing look. King figure, smiley face, and his eye lost out. Um, uh, yeah, so check that out if you want. I guess. Um, 
Yeah, and then beyond that, uh, the only other thing is Yellowstone Season 3 with Kevin Costner. So if you've been watching Yellowstone, yeah, you can continue that. You know what's crazy and... about that is uh, I always click on, you know, Amazon's Top 100 Movies because you never know if you've missed a deal on a movie or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And the Yellowstone DVDs, not the Blu-rays, the DVDs, all, I think there's two of them now, are mm-hmm. always in like a Top 20. Really? I can tell you, it's old people. Oh, yeah. Old people oh, love yeah. that shit. Also, definitely they don't have Blu ray players. <laughs> it's, it's definitely some Cowboy Geezer Solicitation going also on there. Me. My, my, fo- <laughs> my folks watch it. I, I, I'll come upstairs to grab food and they'll be watching Yellowstone and I'll be like, is Yellowstone still on? They'll be like, yep. And I'll be like, okay, cool. And then. <laughs> And then I go back downstairs. Um, um, What's this I, stuff I, watching things live on TV? <laughs> I, 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 well, no, my, my folks are binging it um, through either oh. DVR or through the, the Hulu Roku device, whatever they got. Well, my, I, I don't my know. mom I, watches my kid every week, and I forget there's network TV all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he always has it on Nine News. I go, oh, yeah, this thing exists. Remember when you had to wait patiently for a program to come on each week or, God forbid, every year if it was like a movie? God, man. Yeah. Those were dark times, guys. I used to dark record Friends times. on VHS. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, I used to do that with Disney Channel specials and um, Looney Tunes stuff, like when they did um, Toon Heads. You remember Toon Heads on oh, um, yeah. Cartoon Network? Yeah. Um, and like, I mean, I used to do it with Conan O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, God, those were the days. Guys, yep. let's get a time machine and go back to pre-pandemic land. Let's go back to the 90s. <laughs> let's go back to the 90s. Um, but, but, but I don't want to be a kid again. I don't want to go through that nightmare. Anyway, uh, that's Blu-rays. Films and television that we watch throughout the week and tell you about is in a segment I call What We've Been Watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Corinne, what have you been watching this week? Um, well, I'll get into that in a second, but I just saw this thing on Twitter that says filmmaker Christopher Nolan calls HBO Max the worst streaming service and that their decision makes no economic sense after Warner Media announced it would send 17 of its films directly to the streaming service in 2021. So, Uh-oh, don't want Nolan mad at you. He's their golden goose. Wasn't, yeah, he, right? wasn't he pretty much going to go over to Paramount anyway because of all this nonsense? I don't know. I- I thought I read that somewhere. But. Yeah, I don't have HBO Max, so I'm not sure. Like, is there? Is it really that bad? No, I like it. I mean, actually, it's, it's the one I've been using the most lately. I, I I've had some I had some issues with it at first with streaming, but it got better. So you know, it's it's a good service. Like, I wish I, mean, I just like the con- I like the content on it. I think it's really um, varied. So that's why I like. Good. They have a TCM channel basically in there. I wish they'd yeah. get a better version of bringing a baby in there, but whatever. You know, yeah, don't listen but, you to know. me. Fuck, yeah. <laughs> well, Hulu can kiss my ass because their whole thing. <laughs> like, well, you can get basic Hulu or you can get Hulu without ads, but you got to pay extra. And it's like, and, mm, no. Well, don't Corinne, worry, Corinne. I was reading that Disney Plus and Hulu are going to merge. So. As long so as Hulu uh, has no ads, I will be okay with that. But I don't think that's going to happen because I think they're checking out when you log in. It says, do you want to go to Hulu or do you want to go to Disney Plus? <laughs> so I don't know how it's going to work out. Well, anyway, I'll get my TV shows out of the way first and then I'll move on to the movies I've watched. Um, all right. 
What what ha- have you guys seen the newest episode of The Mandalorian? Nope. Yes. <laughs> Damn it, Ryan. Watch- I clearly I, don't watch Star I, I Wars. I work Friday nights till three in the morning. I don't have time on Friday to watch it. Well, then watch it on Saturday or Sunday. Jeez Louise, we record these well, things on, Saturday, on Monday. I've got go... two whole days to watch this thing. It is 30 Saturdays, minutes. I... Shut 30 up, minutes. Brandon. Shut up. On Saturdays, I have to watch my kid, and then I have to go to work again. Then I work till three in the morning. And then on Sundays, I have to hang out with my kid, and I really want to pay attention to the show. And, you know. So I have to wait till he's asleep. What if we create a whole other day for Ryan to watch The Mandalorian? Like a That'd new day of the week. <laughs> like great. call it Fleur yeah, Day. Yeah, call it Mandalorian Monday. Mandalorian Monday. It's, it's, it's better than regular Monday. <laughs> Just Man-Day, guys. It's Man-Day, yes. Oh, <laughs> Time for our mandate. That's a t-shirt right there. <laughs> Man-Day. Well, I can't talk about it in the detail that I'd like because Thank certain God. people haven't seen it yet. I haven't I watched the show to... period yet, Corinne, and you still managed to spoil it. Well, that's not my fault. You can, it... you can plug your ears or step away from your computer or something. I actually technically do have to do that right now, so keep going. Okay. You could just say it's badass and move on. Uh... What? <laughs> okay. Well, we can't talk about that whole thing because we can't spoil stuff. But let's just say that everyone loves that thing, and I am not a fan of that thing. And Aww. I was like, whatever. I knew it was coming. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. But I still thought it was really stupid. I, well, you also wanted Kylo Ren to survive. so I, mean, I did. Really... Yep, I <laughs> so did. I don't really hold like your opinions on Star Wars stuff anymore, Corinne. It, it, we'll just have to talk about it more next week. Sounds good. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, otherwise it was, I mean, predictable in terms of what happened. Like I said, I think they've they've kind of been building up that certain events would take place, and so when they did, you're kind of like, yeah, you know, tragically foresaw this would happen. So, anyway, but there was, like, one thing that happened. I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that would – it. Okay. Blew me away. Let's just say that. Wink, wink. Okay. <laughs> now, onto Hanya no Yoshihime. Um, this most recent episode was a lot of filler. And, I mean, I guess it kind of had, like, a nice character moment, because the one uh, lead character who has amnesia started getting, like, some of her memories were coming back, and so the dynamic between her and her twin sister is starting to evolve a little bit. And I'm like, okay, that at least I'm on board with, but um, can we get to like the plot now, please? But I think I heard that they're getting a season two. So that's good. Cause this thing is not going to get wrapped up in the next like 14 episodes. <laughs> Believe me, they've got a lot to do. So, okay. I'll go on to the movies. Cause y'all don't care about my anime stuff. Um, I did rewatch Mulan last night, the animated one, animated Disney. Um, I was with a couple of friends, and one of them hadn't seen it yet. So we're like, okay, this is a crime against humanity. Like, you have to see Mulan. So we watched it, and it's really good. Um, And then that sent me down the spiral of watching YouTube videos about Mulan 2020 and, like, the authenticity and, like, the Chinese culture depicted in it. And Chinese people hate 
Mulan 2020. Just going to throw that out there. They are seemingly... They're also communists, so, I mean, whatever. Well, I'm not talking about the Chinese government. I'm talking about the Chinese people, okay? Anyway, so they the the two youtubers i was watching they were a little bit more forgiving of the animated version just because like you know it's animated like and that the animated version didn't um market itself as being like authentic and true to the source material while the 2021 definitely did i guess i mean yeah i mean if i had to pick a less offensive one to be the one that doesn't have a dragon named mushu well, I'll have to send you the links because <laughs> they were very upset about the Mulan 2021. I will not watch those videos. But yeah, cool. Thanks. <laughs> Why do you love that movie so much, Ryan? It because doesn't bring anything so to the table. I don't. Because you hate it so much. I don't hate it so much. <laughs> I just don't like it. Jeez. Yeah, you also <laughs> haven't seen Toy Story 4, so I, your Disney taste to me doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, whatever then. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's how I feel when you talk about Disney stuff. We're not going to talk about Toy Story 4 because we'll get on a whole, like, 15-minute tangent again, and that's not going to be very fun for anybody. Okay, um, I also watched a period drama called A Little Chaos. I think that's, it's like A Little Chaos or A Bit of Chaos or something like that. But it has Alan Rickman, Kate Winslet, um, Jennifer L., and, oh, crap, I can't remember how you pronounce his name, but Matthias Shoniardus or something. You would probably recognize him. I know he was in that movie, The Old Guard, that came out earlier this year. He's been, and he was in Red Sparrow too. He played the creepy bungle dude. Is he an English actor? Is he one of those English actors that's in everything? You go, I know this guy. He's not English. I want to say he's like Danish or something, but he does a lot of work in England. Um, hmm. He was in another period drama that I own called Far From the Matting Crowd. He's in a couple of other period. This like whole movie was just like period drama alumni. And oh, that's right. Uh, Stanley Tucci was in this movie I watched recently too. Um, yeah. Anyway, he played the. So a bit, a little chaos is about Henry the Fourteenth, the one who built Versailles, and um, Matthias, uh, Louis the Sixteenth. What? I, no, I'm pretty sure it was the fort. I don't remember. <laughs> One of the King Louis of France, um, and Matthias Schoenertus, sorry, I'm butchering his name, he plays the um, architect uh, who helped design the gardens, uh, and apparently his character was supposed to be, like, way older than the king was, because the king is played by Alan Rickman, who was, like, in his 60s, and Matthias, that guy, he is, like, in his 30s or 40s, and the character is actually supposed to be in his 70s. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, they definitely uh, weren't uh, true to the source material there. But they also made up this fictional lady, which I was disappointed to find out she was fictional. But yeah, so the whole thing is like she designs this part of the gardens and it's like her struggle with, um, you know, finding new love and mourning the loss of her daughter and her husband, and also just trying to, like, make her way into this high-class French court that, you know, she being lower class is not really suited to be in. And she's played by Kate Winslet. 
And there was a couple of really nice scenes between her and the king, who again is played by Alan Merkman. And I was like, ah, yes, like, oh, my little 1995 Sense and Sensibility fan heart was just like, oh, it's so great to see those two on screen again together. And so I guess it was worth it for that. But overall, I wasn't really impressed with it. And then at the very end, the credits came up, and it said directed by Alan Rickman. And I'm like, yep. what? With a screen, and he worked on the screenplay, too, mm-hmm. with um, Allison Deegan and Jeremy Brock. I'm looking this up now. Mm-hmm. This I did not know he did this. I want to watch this now. It's on Netflix. Um, yeah, like I said, I wasn't really impressed with it. And just knowing that Alan Rickman directed it doesn't change that, but... That's cool though that he got to direct a movie before his passing. Like it was actually know. his second movie that he directed. Because um, he did in the last. Well, well, he did another one that I'm, I, I'm fairly sure I'm aware of. Hold on, I'm trying oh, to remember. Okay. Oh, Is that what you wanted? So yeah, it was kind of interesting that he directed, co-wrote, and starred in this thing. Well, yeah. And I think that I read, because I looked up the IMDb trivia, and it said he was initially approached, or the, the initial thought was to have him play the king, because, or no, sorry, to have him play the architect of the gardens, because he was, like, on the older side. Mm-hmm. And he, I forget why they changed it around, but yeah, they made the architect younger, and uh, Rickman decided to play the king. So, mm. anyway. There's that. It's okay. I, like I said, I was not super impressed with it, but it was kind of like nice to see uh, some of my favorite period drama actors on screen together again. And then the last thing I'll talk about is that I watched a Japanese animated film that was just so delightful and fun and also like kind of heartbreaking and it reminded me, like, the kind of vibe that you would get from a Studio Ghibli film. It's called Oko's Inn. Uh, uh, Oko, O-K-K-O, and then Inn, as in, like, a place that you stay. Uh, super adorable. And, okay, so the premise is, like, Oko is this, I don't know, she's, like, eight or something. And her parents die in a car crash. And she has to go live with her grandma who runs an inn. And so she, um, because she was in the car when her parents almost died, and she has this thing where she can see ghosts now. And so she meets some of the ghosts um, in the town where the inn that her grandma works at. Um, So she starts to get to meet the ghosts, and they're kind of like helping her become this junior innkeeper. That's like her whole thing is she's, um, training to become the junior innkeeper after her grandma and it's just very cute like I said it kind of reminded me of like a Studio Ghibli film um, but there's like this thing that happens at the end that I was just like wanting to cry so bad I'm like oh my gosh you pure child like you shouldn't have to go through this stuff and <sighs> I won't spoil what it is but it's adorable and she is just so cute and she she works so hard that you're just instant. It's kind of like Kiki from Kiki's Delivery Service. Like you're just instantly on board. Like if the tragic backstory wasn't enough, like her personality just wins you over immediately. So I would recommend that everybody check it out. Highly recommend it. Oko's in. It's on Netflix. So that's what I've been watching. Cool, uh, Zach. 
All right. Um, watched a couple of things. Um, I rewatched some more Marx Brothers films. Um, decided to go to some ones that I don't uh, normally revisit a bunch because they're not amazing. Uh, so I rewatched Go West and The Big Store. And these are the um, their third to last and second to last films, like films as an actual team. Um, Go West is still very... Um, uh, it's got some fun bits in it, but it's got problems all over the place with the writing and a lot of stuff does not hold up today. Uh, entire sections of the film do not hold up today by any stretch. Um, it's still a fun Marx Brothers movie, but there's still a lot of like unevenness. You can tell that Groucho and Chico are tired. Um, Harpo looks like he's the one who's having the most fun in it. Um, and then the big store, which is sort of like a return to form because they get Margaret Dumont back. Um, but again, it's it by that point, the Marx Brothers had been turned into uh, they, their their comedy had turned basically into every other comedy where you have a big like action packed climax at the end. And like it, it's it's not the same as they were in the um, uh, in the early Paramount days. Um, so that th- th- there's still good moments in the big store though. So if you, uh, if you haven't seen those, they're available on a box set that's on Amazon probably at this point, but it was put out in 2004, but those films have never been put out on Blu-ray along with stuff like night at the opera and day at the races. Um, and then um, I went ahead and rewatched um duck soup as well which that's a masterpiece so can't go wrong there um i watched a movie called sancho the bailiff with uh for a, a yesteryear um henry is the one who picked it and uh it's pretty it's a pretty wonderful film by a director named mizuguchi who it's i it's a, it's a film that i was not expecting to have the scale that it did but it basically tells the story of uh, a land go- uh, a governor uh, in imperial um, in feudal Japan, who um, who is exiled by the uh, the then Japanese government because he's being t- being too uh, too nice to the peasants in his community and not playing by their rules, and so his family is exiled and uh, they split apart um, to keep each other safe, and the wife and the children get um taken by slave traders and the movie basically shows these kids who are um taken by the slave traders how they rise out of that um or at least one of them rises out of it and um uh uh tries to uh reconnect with their family from far off lands it's an amazing film it's from 1954 i had no idea who mizuguchi was or this film's existence period so uh thank you henry from for recommending that and uh, his episode will come soon um and then at film club we watched a movie that i think ryan would like a lot um it's called remember the night uh it's written by preston sturgis and directed by mitch lyson i had never seen Uh, the film already on board yeah um and are you ready to get even more on board ryan it -hmm. has barbara uh barbara stanwick and fred mccurry i love love barbara stanwick golly I know. Um, and uh, uh, I had never seen this film before. So this was a, a, this is part of their Christmas series that they're doing on the film club where it, each week it's a surprise movie. This one, it's pretty wonderful. So Fred McMurray plays uh, a, a district attorney 
who is prosecuting Barbara Stanwyck, who's a shoplifter. Um, and, uh, but they have to delay court so that Fred McMurray can go home for Christmas. And uh, he decides to take uh, Barbara Stanwyck's character along with her, with him. Um, and eventually they both meet each other's parents on this road trip and slowly, but surely, of course, Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray fall for each other. But, 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 but. Fred McMurray's mom is not too happy with the idea. Um, I don't want to spoil the rest of the movie because it, uh, um, it's a very heartwarming movie um, with an ending I was not expecting. Uh, and you've got other supporting cast members in there, like Sterling Holloway, very early Sterling Holloway is in the movie. Um, he plays um, he, he plays a brother, a brother to McMurray's character, I believe. And uh, we get to hear him sing in a pre-Winnie uh, the Pooh vein. So that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, remember the night, Ryan. I think you'll like it a lot. It's actually... So, oh, Zach, sorry, why did she... Wasn't her, like, original name, like, Ruby? And, like, Ruby Stevens, I think, is her original name. Why did she change it to Barbara Stanwyck? Do you know? I'm not sure. I am not sure. Because I think R- Ruby Stevens sounds like, uh, uh, like an actress name. I don't know why she changed it. Yeah, that's... I'm not sure either. And I, why do I know random facts about Barbara Stanwyck? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan, why do I know? Because so- you're a real nerd. That's why. Uh, <laughs> Thank that's, you. That's true. You are a real nerd. I mean, like, I mean, Ryan, like, there's there's actors that I know, like, small tidbits about, like George Raft. Uh, the big one that I know is like, oh yeah, he was a he was a gangster, then turned into a dancer, then went over to acting, and then turned down every role that Humphrey Bogart took. So. You know, like it, it, we all know some random facts without knowing the full extent of things. Um, but I, I want I want to learn more about Stanwyck because I I fell back in love with her rewatching Double Indemnity not too long. Oh, ago. she's awesome. She's yeah. she's one of those golden age actresses I adore. Her and Gene Turney, like I don't know, like I have a huge crush on Gene Turney, um, Irene Dunn. I've uh, yeah. I've I've told you my recent crush, my my crush, right? My recent crush is uh, mm-hmm. Gene Arthur. Oh yeah, Gene Arthur. Yeah, beautiful. I think Only Angels Have Wings was the was the rewatch where I was like, oh god, I do love this woman. Like I, oh, that's... Rita Hayworth. God, I'm creepy. Oh, oh Rita. Oh well, but that I mean, but, I mean, Rita he has a couple Rita. of great assets. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, now, now, Ryan. That's, that's my 1930s movie producer guy. <laughs> I know, I know, and it sounds just as sleazy as it came out of their mouths. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, actually, I'll say that Barbara Stanwyck is a uh, a gal that I know mainly from radio because of her appearances on Jack's program, um, and she's she was a family friend of theirs, and her and her husband are very talented actors in their right. Robert, Robert Taylor was an amazing actor. Um, although he, I mean, he, he's not, I like Stanwyck more, but <laughs> obviously. Yeah, I mean, I, I blind bought the lady Eve when Criterion was having their half off oh, sale because she's in it. Good call. Good call. Um, so I, um, and it's, she's, she's a, she's an incredible talent. I, I like, it, I mean, we do chat in the film club and I was just falling in love with her all over again. I'm like, God damn it. Barbara Stanwyck's wonderful, um, but yeah, uh, but yeah, I would recommend this movie, Ryan. I I bought the I ordered the Blu-ray immediately after watching it. It's on Universal Blu-ray, so it's pretty easy to get. Um, it is twenty bucks though, so prepare for twenty bucks. Um, but yeah, and uh, that's um, that's really all I watched this week. Apart from I did some, uh, I was doing more research on Orson Welles um, in sort of in conjunction with our movie of the week. And so I rewatched some Welles docs, but we'll get into that another time. 
Brad? Uh, not a lot for me here. Uh, I've been watching The Simpsons on Disney+. Plus. Uh, getting caught up since season 11. It was a little, the last season I left off on. And there's some fun stuff in there. Uh, but the main thing I watched was uh, Disney+. Plus. They have... I'm not, I'm not digging the interface too much. Because uh, it's based on Hulu's interface. And it's hard to select episodes within seasons of things but uh in the wake of the mandalorian uh which was amazing and uh i like i didn't follow the clone wars or rebels prior to this so i just had to go back and try and watch all that and i clicked on the clone wars and after about an hour i was like man this first episode is really long um and it turns out i had selected the movie the clone wars from like (laughs) yep I think I did the same thing when I first watched the Clone Wars, Brad. Yeah, because so, the other thumbnail for the Clone Wars says the final season. So I was like, well, I don't want to select the final season without watching the other seasons. And yeah, they're baked into there. Right, because season seven like just came out earlier this year. Um, yeah. that It was made by Disney, and I don't know who made the other seasons, but I guess whenever the other seasons whenever they stopped, I, I don't know if like there were just materials left on the cutting room floor that they just ran out of money or what, what exactly happened. But I think that they supposedly was enough material for a season seven that they never got to do. So whenever Disney took over, they were like, well, we're finally going to do the seventh season. So that's why it came like so many years after the first yeah. TV show ended. Well, the first I TV believe- show was on Cartoon Network, which is Warner Brothers, right? Y- yeah, and Warner right. Brothers put out the Clone Wars movie that you inadvertently watched, which I guess I'm the only one who intentionally selected it once in 2015. So, <laughs> and yeah. didn't do it on accident. And I love the Clone Wars, but I remember that movie being, like, really bad. <laughs> it's not that... I mean, there, there are some things that are introduced that you're like, oh, okay, like, this will... This will be good later, but at the time you're like, mm. let's let, let's be honest, Corinne. It's Jabba the Hutt's son, Stinky. <laughs> That's the most important through line in Star Wars history. And I feel like they even got Christopher Lee and Samuel L. Jackson to appear in the movie, and they don't appear in the TV show. No, right. yeah, they they got them brief. Yeah, I, I looked up the credits. They're they're not in the movie. Like they, they just have really good copycat voice actors. Mm-hmm. I thought um, they were. Yeah, I'm gonna it, look this up. Could be wrong, uh, but yeah, it's it's not terrible. But it's uh, there's so much anachronistic stuff in it that you're like, this is not how Star Wars characters talk. Um, you know, it, it, at one point I thought it was the entire series cut down into two and a half hour, or two hours. Um, yeah, it just kind of just seemed kind of lame <laughs> Into- um, brad to not to not to correct you but chris really and sam jackson are in it as well as anthony daniels Boom. oh cool yeah good for them um, <laughs> i clearly clicked on the wrong clone wars on imdb then um, yeah, th- like I said, in the TV show, they are yeah very good voice actors who copycat the original movie actors. Yeah, I initially looked it up because I was like, that sounds like Sam Jackson. I doubt they got Sam Jackson for this. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's just uh, it, the movie actually introduces Ahsoka Tano. Yes. 
uh, as a character, which I thought would just be in the show. So this is a prequel movie. I'm taking it. Yeah, if I remember correctly, yeah. Basically, this is kind of like the pilot for the Clone Wars TV series that a lot of the characters and storylines and conflicts that are introduced in the movie get carried over into the TV show. Okay, yeah, that's why I stuck with it for so long. I was like, well, this has to be the first episode because Ahsoka Tano just showed up right here. So, mm-hmm. um, Do they introduce Asajj Ventress in the movie? I can't remember. I mean, she's there, but it wasn't like much of an introduction. <laughs> oh, she gets more time later. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I started watching the uh, actual series after this, so um, yeah, which I haven't gotten very far in. But yeah, the movie was just uh, yeah, it's just yeah, uh, Count Dooku trying to trick Jabba the Hutt into believing that the Jedi are trying to kill his son, while the Jedi are trying to rescue his son, and that's that. <laughs> and uh, yeah a lot of like I, I, Anakin calling Ahsoka Tano snips because she was snippy to him it's like that seems like I don't see that character doing that but okay um, yeah and then um, is that it? I think that's it yeah it's, I, the Mandalorian I just wish I could talk about well I didn't talk about last week of the Mandalorian was um the one thing I am disappointed about is how the environments feel very human. Um, they're, I don't think they're as, as imaginative as the you know, Star Wars universe has been previously. Like, you know, they go to the Akbar planet, and it's very much like an episode of uh, The Deadliest Catch. You know, you'd, you'd think they would make it more alien. Um, but, I mean, they're even wearing, like, <laughs> the like puffiest sweaters that any Earthling like a hero has. So I, I wish they would be a little more imaginative with their world building. But uh, overall, the thing I do like best about the Mandalorian is how they expand on the world building that the movies never seem to do. So like you really get to learn about the cultures of the different species. Like probably the best thing is seeing the uh, Tuscan Raiders who I never understood. Are they like humans with like masks on or they have like, or they're like, their face is really organic like that? Well, I don't know. That's a good I'm question. not sure. I would guess that they don't look human, but that whatever is on their face is some kind of a covering. Yeah. Because it looks like they have, like, little, like, mechanical eye holes or something. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, it looks like... I always thought it was, like, a face mask to pre- pre- protect them against, like, sandstorms. Like, that's don't what they have, like, horns that come out of their head? Yeah. But um, yeah, like we've never seen them off, so I'm like wondering if like is that like actual skin texture or something? Uh, you know, because that's what they had in the 70s. But but even better is like people have been talking about how it's like a great it was, it's great to make that re- that their representation like equal to people who do like um, you know are deaf have sign like have to do sign language and stuff. Like that's a great way to do that. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, obviously expanding the Mandalorian um, cultures and yeah, just uh, it's awesome. I can't, I can't wait for Ryan to watch this episode because it was so amazing, and it's so short too. Um, I like, I swear, I just turned it on and it was over, and I was like, "That's that's we're gonna leave this here. Give us another fifteen minutes." Um, 
Yeah. It even felt longer than it actually was to me, just because we. I felt like hey, we saw buddy, the same sequences multiple times. Okay. It's like, wait, you're trying that again? Okay, we're oh, just going to okay. have to play. <laughs> what was that? Oh, I was just saying, like, I felt like we saw the same sequences multiple times. That it's like, oh, you're trying that again? Oh, okay. <laughs> it didn't work the first time. Yeah, that that felt like padding, but like with that mm. character, him doing it like three times. It's like, dude, you're smarter than this. But yeah, mm-hmm. everything else is great. I don't want to unmute Brad. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't hear Corinne at all. <laughs> like, um, no, I did mute myself. Did you? No. I- yeah. You sent me a thing to unmute me. I, I'm, I clicked it a bunch of times, so maybe that was it. So, anywho, um, yeah, that is what I watched this week. Nice, uh, man. Before I get going, I, <laughs> I just found out one of my uh, friends passed away. His name was Tommy, and the reason I mentioned that is because he was a huge horror movie fan. He would always recommend horror movies to me. And that's a bummer. So, um, like, sorry to hear that. Huh? Just passed away or like... Yeah, yeah. like uh, I just got a text from my wife while you were talking. So, um, Like was he sick he, already or... I have no idea. No, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah, he... I mean, he was on Facebook yesterday. So, I don't know what happened. Hopefully... I don't know. Um, but he... Uh, I met him when my mom was working at... Uh, my mom? My wife was working at Lucky Strike... And he was the security guard there. He is six nine, six ten, and the nicest guy, and loved horror movies. And so he would always recommend a bunch of them to me. So that's uh, that's a bummer. He moved to Florida about three years ago, so I haven't seen him in a while. But um, yeah, that that sucks. Very sorry to and, hear that, bud. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Tommy, this one's for you. I watched uh, Dracula's Daughter this week. Heck um, yeah! It's the uh, first sequel to Dracula. Um, yep <laughs> universal I, if i remember right 1936 Zach? yeah yeah so so five years after dracula mm-hmm. um it's uh it's not qu- quite as groundbreaking as dracula and it does you do miss uh bella lugosi in it but ah. i will say it has a has a great atmosphere i think uh the actors are really good in it and it has this really kind of silly comedy to it kind of like uh the bride of frankenstein yeah it's a little bit more aware of itself yeah um like the uh the two uh coppas that find dracula's body (laughs) are uh are pretty silly but it's a really great story about so it basically this lady's dracula's daughter because she's one of his brides and um she's under his spell so she's hoping to cure herself of vampirism through a doctor and hypnosis and so she goes through and seduces uh men and people and kills them and uh she wants to not be a vampire anymore and will she be able to cure herself well you'll have to watch a 78 minute long film to find out it's it's interesting how that film managed to slip in a lot of um lesbian subtext in it oh yeah like in that era like and um, I will tell you, Ryan, Bella Lugosi. There was a scene written initially for Bella Lugosi to be at the beginning of that movie in a prologue, and uh, Universal didn't want to pay him. Oh, nice! 
So that's why that um, scene is not there, and that's why he's not in it. <laughs> there's, a, I mean, there's a nice wax like figure of Dracula. So yeah, um, yeah, in a no, coffin. Yeah, he gets his um, Madame Tussauds cameo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I picked up the Dracula Legacy Collection at uh, Barnes and Noble when I was supposed to get um, Criterion's that were half off, but they had that there, and it was thirty uh, percent off. And then my mother-in-law has the membership to Barnes and Noble, so I got it for forty percent off. So it was only like. $13. And uh, it, it's one of the few, uh, like I have a couple of legacy collections because I have the individual steel books of those films as well. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, but it's one of the ones that has, I think like four or five films that are only available on that collection. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of cool. I have um, like four or five copies of those <laughs> exclusive ones because of the box <laughs> set. Cause they just gave the same discs in there. It's really strange. I have four copies of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Me too. I, well, I have it in my Abbott Costello collection. Right. Obviously. I have the single disc of it, which I guess is out of print and it's like really expensive to get. Yeah. Um, yep. And then I have it on my uh, invisible man collection and my Dracula collection. So yeah, that's four. Yeah, that's it's um, it's kind of insane. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Um, I don't know what my kid's doing. Just trying to be obnoxious. Um, I also I also okay, Kellen. Um, I I watched this documentary on uh, Hulu called Skin: The History of Nudity in Film, and it's hmm. it's really fascinating. They have a lot of really big time directors and film critics. And I mean, it's not meant to be sexy. It's, it's really a deconstruction of how um, nudity made its way into film, how it started. There's nudity in film at the, when film was first put out. And then uh, it goes into the Hayes Code and the enforcer of the Hayes Code actually wasn't Hayes. It was some other guy. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Are you thinking um, Joseph Brain? Yeah, there you go. And he was a lot more uh, strict than Hayes ever was. And it was, it's a really fascinating study into the history of ratings and films and what they deemed was inappropriate. And um, it's, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's, if you're a film history person, it's, it's fun. Um, If you're going into it to see nudity, I mean, there's lots of nudity, but, it's not in the context of why there is nudity in the f- films. So yeah, it's, no, it's, it's clips, like, essentially is what you're telling Yeah, me. it's not made for sexy time, you know what I mean? It's, um, <laughs> okay, that's the quote that's going on the poster for it now. <laughs> yeah, it, it's for educational purposes. Um, yeah, I, I want to so, check this out. Sounds good. Yeah, you should check it out. It's, it's interesting. Because they go back to, like, 1912, like I think, is the first film that had nudity in it. It's really fascinating. Oh, that pervert um, Edison. <laughs> Yeah, he was. They even talk about Edison and how he stole the idea of films. Um, yep. <laughs> and uh, the only other thing I watched is I got the, the Bugs Bunny 60th anniversary Blu-ray. And it's uh, pretty amazing. Um, it, it, it's fun because I, I love short cartoons, if anybody's listened to this podcast already knows that. But, you know, Bugs Bunny is considered the greatest cartoon character of all time. And when you watch his cartoons, you know, they're all so great. And um, the energy that each director brings to it, which I've started to pick up each director's style. 
uh, as I've watched all these Looney Tunes, and it, it's it's pretty fun. Uh, the highlight for the bonus features is there's a new 60-minute documentary about Bugs Bunny, and uh, it has a lot of new interviews and a lot of um, older interviews with, I mean, they have Mel Blanc's on it, and then they have, I think it's his daughter or son, I can't remember. Oh, no, Noel, Bl- Noel Blanc, probably. Yeah, his son, because his son does have pretty good Bugs Bunny, too. He carried and, on his uh, work his work after his father died. Yeah, uh, so it's a really fun documentary. And then they have um, a lot of the ladies that helped uh, paint Bugs Bunny and things like that. And oh. they're kind of cool talking about the different directors and how he's endured. And, you know, when you deconstruct a character like Bugs Bunny, a, a lot like Donald Duck, you know, those characters, you shouldn't like them because, you know, Bugs Bunny's kind of a, a rapscallion, you know. Um, but at that time, it, it, it's fascinating. He was the American spirit. And, you know, the, that's how Americans thought. There's a, they even mentioned Superbugs on there, which is a really famous cartoon he was in where he's Superman, but he's Superbugs. And he's fighting uh, a couple of uh, gunslingers, I guess, for lack of a better word. And then, you know, he says, I'm going to be the biggest superhero of all. And he goes into a phone booth and he comes out volunteering for the war. <laughs> and you go, oh, wow. Um, and, you know, just watching him again, I love when Mel Blanc does like dumb characters. And there's this, <laughs> there's this one where it's uh, these vultures looking for <gasps> dinner. Oh, and yes, 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 yes. And, he, and the one vulture is going, uh, I'm going to go find them. Bunny. It's just uh, so I'm, stupid. I'm a it's vicious amazing. bird of prey. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> but he that, that's like the male Blanc, like um dumb, slow character. Is, uh, Ryan, is the, Ryan, is that the one also where he hits he smacks him I, he hits him really hard with something and then he goes, Which way did he go, George? Which way did he go? No, so <laughs> well no, that's uh the sheepdog with Wiley Coyote. Well, that's, um, I know the Vulture did that gag. They repeated that gag a bunch. I was just wondering if that one's on Blu-ray. No. And, and this cool. one, the Vulture sticks his head in Bugs Bunny's hole and gets smacked <laughs> because Bugs Bunny comes up in drag <laughs> in, from being in the shower. I'm like, wow, yep, this yep, is a yep, little, yep. little racy for 1943. But oh, right. Well, yeah, like the, these were made for kids and adults. Like this wasn't. Yeah. No, it's it's brilliant. And the tr- the, the cartoons look astounding they're they're amazing so um i mean i thought it was a funko pop keychain it's a diamond glittery funko pop that comes with it um you get uh some letter from uh is it jeff john beck he's a really big uh animation historian oh jeff beck uh and uh and you get the blu-rays so uh i mean if you, yeah, I mean, it's worth it. I, I, I loved it, but you have to be a Looney Tunes fan too. I, I, mine's on its way, but I got a notification from Amazon um, today saying your package will be delayed till Thursday. So I've got to wait until fucking yep. Thursday to watch Bugs Bunny in HD. God yeah. Damn it, Amazon. <clears throat> you know what? You know what happened, Zach, is the UPS truck should have taken a left turn at Albuquerque and it did not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know me, Ryan. Uh, you know me well. Brad and Corinne, you're not laughing at my amazing Bugs Bunny joke. 
They're, they're lame. They're not going to get it's it. It's been a long time since I've seen Looney Tunes. Hey, hey, oh, hey. Oh, man, you should reacquaint yourself with them. They're amazing. Corinne, I'm ordering you to watch. I'm, I'm ordering you to watch 50 Looney Tunes or Merry Melody shorts back to back to back until you have caught up with the glory again that is the Looney Tunes. Yes. And that's what I watched. All right. Week. It's going to take me a long time to do it, though. Maybe, it's, like, my whole life. <laughs> get, start, get started tonight. <laughs> that's funny. Like, when yeah. I start watching the shorts, I watch them all, and then I realize I've spent two hours and 30 minutes <laughs> watching 20 Bugs Bunny cartoons. I go, oh, I have not been productive today at all. You know what would be great is to do – I should do this is, like, just pop them on and leave them on and have a big box of cereal just at the ready. Just, like – just Totally. Yeah, God. Anyways, uh, this week on Real Nerds Podcast, we streamed the Netflix original film from David Fincher, Mank. Brad, should people stream Mank? Um, yeah, I was going to say, you should only watch it if you're Zach Eastman. Because <laughs> it's, it's made for you and no one else. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a, I don't know, I, I couldn't get into it. It was, I mean, it's a, it's a well-made movie, but it's a, lo- it's a roundabout way of... Uh, making one point and for most of the movie i didn't think it was that point so um yeah i don't know corinne were you able to stream mank i was i got to watch it and i can't i, I agree with everything brad said i think this movie had potential but i disagree with how they structured it and i kind of felt like it didn't have a point that it was just like oh here's some in some info about this guy's life it's like that's neat, I guess. I the one thing I'll, I'll give it though is I appreciated seeing a film in black and white again. And while I wasn't thrilled with their exterior shots and like the lighting on those, the interior shots felt very, um, very much like it was shot in the '30s and '40s, and you know had that very like really dramatic lighting on people's faces and stuff. So I appreciated that at least. You know, you can uh... also Charles dances in it. You know you can watch a movie in black and white anytime by turning down the saturation on your TV? I, I know but, that, but they're not, not made that way. Yeah, that's not actual black and white, Brad. That's heresy. Um, now, Zach, before I get to you, remember, you're only supposed to say if you should watch it or not. Okay? Okay. Okay. All right. Zach, should people stream Mank? Yes, and we'll talk about it after the trailer. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's well made um yeah it's yeah it's well made and <laughs> there's a there, there there's some there's some funny uh i really love jokes that are hard to pick up if you're not paying attention to the film and this has a couple pretty great ones in it uh, but yeah i'm also on brad's but where i thought it was f- fun and well made i also thought oh, okay it's what it is. Uh, here's a trailer for Mank. Mank? It's Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talk. What is it the writer says? Tell the story you know. Hello, everyone. Make yourself to home, Mr. Mankowitz, or shall I call you Herman? Please, call me Mank. 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 This is Herman Mankowitz, but we're to call him Mank. Mankowitz, 
Herman Mankiewicz, New York playwright and drama critic, turned humble screenwriter, Mr. Hearst. This is a business where the buyer gets nothing for his money but a memory. What he bought still belongs to the man who sold it. That's the real magic of the movies. Thunder, blood, blood, fire, religion. Help! Someone save me! All in one film. That's director proof. That's why I always want Mank around. I hear you're hunting dangerous game. God bless William Randolph Hearst. Ready and willing to hunt the great white whale? Just call me Ahab. Do come in. At this rate, you will never finish. You said 90 days. Well, said 60. I'm doing the best I can. I've put up with your suicidal drinking, your compulsive gambling, your silly platonic affairs. You owe me, Herman. Who do you think you are? You're nothing but a court jester. What I want to know is what you think of it. It's a bit of a jumble, a collection of fragments that leap around in time like Mexican jumping beans. Welcome to my mind, old sock. Him, I get. But what did Marion ever do to deserve it's this? It's not her. Not all characters are headliners. Some are secondary. You pick a fight with Willie. You are finished. Mayor can't save you. Nobody can. Especially the boy genius from New York. I removed any distraction. Eliminated every excuse. Your family, your cronies, liquor. I gave you a second chance. You cannot capture a man's entire life in two hours. All you can hope is to leave the impression of one. Why Hurst? Outside his own blonde Betty Boop, you're always his favorite dinner partner. Are you familiar with the parable of the organ grinder's monkey? <laughs> So Mank follows Herman Mankiewicz, who is a really prolific uh, screenwriter in the golden age of Hollywood, and kind of traces his writing uh, Citizen Kane for Orson Welles and flashes back to his career seven years previously in the grips of the Great Depression and people getting fed up with the studio system and lots of politicalness going on. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, that's the story of Mank. Yep, it is. Um, uh, I, I, the, again, I, I it, full disclosure to anybody listening to this who hasn't watched the movie, if you're going in for a movie about the creation of Citizen Kane that um, follows facts, you're going to be disappointed. Um, there's a perspective on this film. Um, when I watched the film, uh, the, 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 the experience is pretty incredible if you have followed this period of cinema um there's a lot of stuff that is just i I didn't think they would even bring up the fact that mank was a supervising producer on three of the paramount marx brothers films because they mentioned that all over the place um that they would have people like ben hecht who wrote for hitchcock and george s kaufman and um S.J. Perlman being in the movie as characters. Um, but the movie really, like, I'll be honest, like, I don't, I think this movie is two things. One is it's about, it's, it's about self-destruction. Um, and it's told through the eyes and experience of an alcoholic writer. So, which is why the ending of the movie is one point of view and not the actual facts. Um, but the other one is that it's interesting how it's, talking about the Hollywood system of that era and drawing a lot of parallels to the way Hollywood still tends to operate. Um, Obviously one of the big cruxes in this film, if you've been watching it is the 
gubernatorial election um, where Upton Sinclair was thwarted by the studio system. Uh, this film talks a lot about socialism and its impact and rise in relevance at this point in time in the 30s because of the Depression. Um, and I was shocked to see that Louis B. Mayer played as big a role in the movie as he did because <laughs> that was the last thing I was expecting. And it, uh, it's a good performance by the actor playing Louis B. Mayer. Um, I think, honestly, like, if we're talking about, like, the technical acumen on this and whatnot, like, I have never seen a movie of this sort since the good German, the Soderbergh movie from 2005, I want to say, where the black and white photography looks amazing. And something that I noticed right away, the sound is tweaked ever so much so to sound like it's coming from equipment of the era because nothing sounds supremely crisp and clear. It's very much sounds like they're speaking in a sound stage, um, mm-hmm. especially. I noticed the that interior. too. Yeah. And it's, it's not like, obviously it's not going to be exact, um, but it sounds so, so on the nose, perfect for the movie he's trying to make. If, if the goal of Fincher was to make a movie that felt like it was made at that time, then he absolutely succeeded. There's- well, here's a, here's a Netflix fun fact for you, Zach. It is the only film on Netflix that has mono audio. Really? I yep. did not know that. Now I have to rewatch it with mono only. Wow. That, God damn it, that's cool. Um, but anyway, like, I, I, yeah, like, and I will say, like, I, this is probably my favorite Gary Oldman performance in recent memory. Like, I like him in The Darkest Hour, but he is allowed to go loose in this film, and Fincher just lets him ride. Like, it, it's uh, that scene at the end when he is laying into her stand mayor at that dinner party is just astounding um the monologue i i i was there's a there's a lot of cringe moments because like he's basically this is like basically the dramatization of how mankowitz basically threw his golden ticket to the hearst palace out the window (laughs) and what brings him to the point of writing something like kane with wells um and uh and just the the audacity of the film, I think, is ultimately, like, it structures itself like Citizen Kane. Um, and there are moments where I think it doesn't work um, in terms of how they cut between the past and the present. But I appreciated that he tried to emulate that switching of uh, th- switching through time and that perspective to tell the story up to this point. Uh Again, like, I mean, like, I, the only the only real, like, tick I have about the film ultimately is I, um, uh, there's a line in the movie at the, near the beginning when they're in a pitch meeting, and uh, they're trying to pitch a horror movie, and Ryan, I don't know if you caught this, but they, they mention making it Frankenstein and the Wolfman rolled into one. Now, this takes place in 1935-ish, and the Wolfman... Old. And the Wolfman didn't come out or wasn't even a property in Universal's canon until the 1940s. So obviously somebody did not relook at that script and go, hey, maybe we could change it to Dracula. Um, <laughs> but again, it's such a small, like, it's a small quibble. Um, I know there's been uh, a lot of people upset with the way it portrays Orson Welles. Um, I, I don't think it's trying to 
um, promote that Pauline Kael um, piece of uh, bad journalism that she did in the 70s. I think the movie is from Mank's perspective and Mankiewicz had issues with Orson. So if this movie is from Mank's perspective, which that's what it, all indication is, then this is his impression of working with Wells. It's not the full story. You're getting one perspective. Orson Wells is barely a character in the movie. He's much more of a omnipresence that's usually through the phone. So like, I, I understand why people are upset because it does, it could seem on the surface to be promoting a piece of bad journalism by Kale um, that, that Wells, that Wells had to suffer through in the last years of his life. But you know, most people are intelligent enough to look through the f information and the facts to understand that Wells had much to contribute to the script of Kane, let alone the fact that he directed and starred in it. Um, so, um, and I, I will say too, I think, I find it interesting how it's a movie about self-destructive people and the movie Kane is about self-destructiveness. So it's, it's weird how, it, it's good that Fincher laid into that as well as he did. So I think this movie demands to be watched. Um, I really wish we could have seen it in a theater because I think it would have looked amazing in a theater. Um, I'm kind of hoping that if the Mayan ends up reopening, that they'll keep Mank on their, um, on their slate or somehow Netflix allows them to show it. I doubt that it'll happen, but um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a good movie guys. It's a really good movie. Uh, there's two jokes in it that I really love. Um, the first one is when Mank goes out and sees Marion and she's on a, a stake as for a witch. Yeah. And he says, you look like you got a lot at stake here. And, <laughs> and the second one is, is Mankiewicz got uh, an uncredited writing um, on the wizard of Oz. Yeah. And he, <laughs> he keeps saying like that fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's going to say that when his brother's talking to him and he goes, uh, yeah, you know, they're all up in arms about the wizard of Oz. And he goes, that goddamn movie. <laughs> it's this, uh, uh, he hates it. And it's kind of funny. Um, yeah, it's, it's... but, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's well-made. I, you know, I, I want to ask uh, the two directors here, would you ever make an actor do 200 takes of a single scene? Cause that seems really like stupid that Fincher does that. I feel uncomfortable asking him to do one take, Ryan. I like that, that, that's a, that's a, you know, like, have you watched the documentary Ryan um, on the Zodiac Blu-ray where yeah. he goes through the production? You've seen how many times he asked Jake Gyllenhaal to throw that notebook. Yeah. Like it is, it is insane. The amount of detail he puts into it. It's, it's part of the reason probably why Benjamin Button took so long to make. Um, but, but yeah, but, I don't, I, mean, I don't don't, think I would, you know? I mean, Brad, after like five or six takes, I mean, how many more different ways would you expect an actor to do something? And what could you possibly get from somebody on take 174 to take 200? Yeah, the only time I could see me doing 200 takes is if we, if we screwed up 170 of them, right? Like, yeah. It'd have to be like the worst streak of luck imaginable. Like, unless, like, unless that's like... Uh, Gary Oldman's process, like no, that's that's no, Fincher. It's that's a, a Fincher thing. thing. And I, no, I, I that's what I'm be... saying is like as a director, if like you know, like oh, Gary Oldman likes to try different things, then sure, I'm gonna let Gary Oldman. Like if if he tells me he wants to do 200 variations of this line, then okay. But mm. yeah, I can't see another reason why. I don't know. He would it just do seems that. really self-serving and really uh, 
I don't know. Uh, so you're, you're talking about the work with. If you're talking about the book, it's like, well, okay, if it has to hit this mark in like this specific way, like to be framed properly or um, bounce, like it's such a random act that, like, okay, I, I could see that like taking a while. But yeah, if it's just a performance thing, it's like, yeah, you, I can't see you doing like 200 different variations of something and then be, like going back to the edit and being like, uh, yeah, I like the uh, 160th one. That's the <laughs> one that did it. Well, Kubrick did that too. Kubrick wore people out that way. He would do. Oh yeah, Tom Cruise hundreds. talked about it. Like yeah. Tom Cruise talked about. You know, he's the most, you know, eager dude ever, and he said that shooting Eyes Wide Shut was maybe the most demanding film he's ever made. Not not breaking his leg in a Mission Impossible movie. No. Doing multiple takes with Stanley Kubrick. I actually, I, you know what, Ryan? I believe that. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. Um, I I guess it's a good thing if you want to like if your actor's not giving you a great fatigue performance, and then. uh, Well, I was just reading an interview with Amanda uh, Seyfried, and she's Freed, whatever her fuck her last name is, and um, thanks, got it, and uh, and she said that she had to do over two hundred takes of something that had no dialogue; it was a look. And eventually I'd be like, dude, you have 140 of them. Go fuck yourself. I would like walk <laughs> off set. It's, it's, that, I mean, how that, long does it even take you to do 200 takes? She said it took one week to film that one look. Ugh. Yeah. Are you kidding and, me? Well, this, yeah. is, this is one of the consequences of digital filmmaking. You can have as many takes as you want, theoretically. Um, but Edgar Wright always, um, there's a piece of advice Edgar Wright always puts down on paper that I, uh, I respect to the end of the earth. He's just like, I don't want to get comfortable with that digital tech. To me, when I'm filming on digital tech, I have to keep myself in the frame of mind that there's film going through the camera. And that's like every foot of film is a piece of money that's going into the drain unless I get it right. So you have to dis- discipline yourself to a certain amount of takes. Fincher's always been meticulous in that fashion. It's it's similar to Hitchcock, but even Hitchcock didn't do hundreds of takes on one particular thing. Um, so it's just you know it's his it's his style. It's you know a lot of people can look into it and know what they sign up for when they do it. Um, actually, speaking of Seafried though, she's great as Marion Davis in this movie. Like that scene where they're I walking she through. Was- the MVP of the movie, to be quite honest with you. She is I, 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 undoubtedly she the scene where he she and Mank are walking through the Hearst estate and they're just they're just talking. It's some of the best performance I've ever seen her give in a movie. It's just wonderful. Um, I didn't even realize it was her until like halfway through the movie. She she doesn't look you I don't think you'd catch her right away in it. She definitely looks like the, the makeup job's good on it, but also mm-hmm. it's just like she kind of look. She kind of feels like Marion Davis. Like I mean, the look's not entirely like there per se, but I, 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 I mean, it's close enough. But like I, I got the feeling of like this is the Marion Davis that people talk about in these books. Like she's affable. She's super engaged with with people around her. Um, and I think Charles Dance is a good William Randolph Hearst. It's just that he doesn't. Um, he doesn't get to be in it very much. Yeah, we don't see him a lot in the movie. He has that wonderful moment at the end when he's walking Mank out the door, um, telling the parable of the organ grinder's monkey, mm-hmm. um, which that's also like that whole element is a great element too. Um, uh, again, like there's a lot of stuff going on in there. It's just terrific. I, also, this movie made Irving Thalberg a character and a very important one. Um, and it, uh, I think it's incredibly fair to Irving Thalberg. Um, I think it, it gets a little mean spirited at times, 
but it's you know it does show Irving Thalberg as the disciplined like committed to his craft person that he was um I mean, I would love to see an opposite end biopic on Thalberg because that was like, he was one of the youngest producers in film history that he, he basically helped build Universal into a prestige studio of sorts before he left for MGM. And his MGM unit produced some of the best movies of the golden age of Hollywood before his death. Um, and also I like the fact that they showed that Louis B. Mayer could give less than two shits about Thalberg because when he walks back into his car after the funeral, you see him throw away that handkerchief. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. We, we, we made sure to get in that detail that Louis B. Mayer hated Thalberg thoroughly. Um, so, yeah. See the movie, guys. It's two hours and 12 minutes. It's free. Can't kill you. It's not free. You guys subscribe to Netflix, but yeah. If you're already subscribed to the Netflix thingamajigger, you can watch this movie. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, I, I was not a big fan of it. I, I think it has some merit, but I just didn't... Admittedly, like, I watched it in multiple parts. I wasn't able to sit down and watch it all in one sitting. Mm-hmm. I had to watch, like, the first 30 minutes last night, and then I was just kind of watching it, you know, maybe, like, every 15 or 20 minutes as I could today. Um, so, admittedly, maybe not the best way to watch it, but I felt like it took a really long time to get going, and I wasn't sure, like, what is, what's the conflict? What's the plot? Other than just, he needs to write Citizen Kane. I'm like, okay, that's not compelling enough for me to watch this. But again, I was like, oh, Charles dances in it. And, you know, Gary Oldman is like, I like these people. I'll watch it. So, eh, so the political angle obviously spoke to me. And I was like, this is really interesting. But I think, like, just the way they approached it, I don't know, it's, it's like they didn't focus on it long enough for the runtime. It's like, you could have just made a movie that was just about that. Like just about like the whole political thing and like how, you know, the parallels to today and everything that could have been its own movie. But there's a a wonder that I have of how much of Jack Fincher's script was changed or left unchanged upon filming. Mm -hmm. Um, because I want, I, I'm curious to find out one how long it is, and two, how much more of the gubernatorial election is contained within it. Um, I, I think that the the hook of Kane is what allows it to to flow because it is drawing that allusion to Kane. But again, if you haven't watched Kane, or you're not into Kane, or whatever the case may be, it's going to feel I, I would I would imagine somebody feeling a little bit bored by it um, yeah and it's been a long time since I've seen Citizen Kane and I think I might have been in high school and I don't remember liking it when I did see it so that's probably a disadvantage for me because mm-hmm. it just kept flipping back and forth and like I got the mechanism and I kind of liked how it was like the you know like the words that you'd see on a script of like exterior you know theater blah, blah, blah. so that was kind of neat but I just I don't know. It was like, what, what was the point of this movie? I just, my thing that I wanted to see, if I could like just tell them, okay, take it back to the drawing board, do a second draft, is I wanted to see more of Mank, Hurst, and Marion because the way they talked about it, Mank was like really well respected at San Simeon and like he, like Hurst liked the way he talked. 
and that he was like the golden boy at the dinners and he was if you got this impression like he he knew them really well and that he had this kind of like platonic weird relationship with Marion that you know he was kind of sweet on her but in like a platonic way Um, he was also kind of using her to get information that he wanted and I was like that was kind of interesting like that scene where they're going around the Hearst estate was cool and I just kind of wondered like did he ever feel guilty that he wrote a script about a guy that he kind of hated but also spent a lot of time with he um Corinne well one thing to keep in mind again the script is full of embellishment like any historical um historical adaptation um his he was ousted from the from the her circle by the point that he's sitting in that bed writing Kane up in Arizona um and he's the uh the one of the things is Charlie Letterer um Marion Davies's nephew um the the forgive me if I'm misquoting this, but um, I believe that uh, he did send the script to, with, with Charlie Letterer to Sam Simeon and uh, Charlie Letterer reported back that he didn't think that Marion would object to it. The whole meeting that Marion and him have while after he's written Kane and she, they talk about like, if this destroys you or if this destroys him, that never happened. Um, so there's a lot of embellishment to elaborate on that relationship as an allegory for his time at Samsonian. I don't, um, I, I'd have to imagine because Mankiewicz did start out as a journalist he never didn't look at this from a journalist's perspective. And, and from all accounts, you know, not the worst journalist in the world. He certainly wasn't as bad as Hearst and his yellow journalism. But, um, you know, I do feel like if I had had more with them, it would have been interesting. I don't know, from my perspective, I don't know what it would have done to enhance anything further. I think that the the big hook on it and – I would understand rightfully so from a modern con- from what we deal in the modern context is that uh, the gubernatorial election is a little bit more of a, a prominent point because it also signals the rise and the formation of the Writers Guild, which is very important not just for Hollywood in general, but also ends up technically playing a big role in the writing credits on Citizen Kane itself in regards to there's a whole side issue regarding that. Um, but at any rate, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it would have changed too much. Um, it would have probably just tacked on another 30 minutes to the movie, which I don't know if you're looking for a three hour cut of this movie. I know I would love to watch any length of cut this movie has to offer, but well, that's just for me. somebody like me who, you know, I, I don't know like the whole history of Hollywood. I don't know these people. I don't know this story. Right. So this I'm looking I guess I don't necessarily need realism or whatever that you're, you're saying like, Oh, that wasn't, you know, that's not what happened in real life. Mm -hmm. And I get that, but I guess I just wanted a more compelling story than a guy just sits in a house and writes a movie. Mm. That's not that compelling to me. I wanted like more of that dynamic between him and Hearst and uh, crap. I just forgot her name. Marion. Marion Davies. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted a little bit, like I said, you know, if they spent so much time together, I wanted, you know, what, how did he think of Hearst? Did he think of him as like this 
shit heel of a human being what how did he feel like finding out like oh yeah like this guy has been bankrolling half of my salary for the last several years i don't know just give me a little bit more on that well i mean the good news is it can encourage you to dig further if you so choose well but that's the thing is like i don't necessarily want to (laughs) and who knows like again like that's emotion like i don't unless they wrote it down in a letter or diary or something it's like am i ever gonna know how the hell mankowitz felt about hearst unless he wrote it down i think i think corinne from a journalism perspective um digging into hearst would be a fun avenue unless you already know more about him than 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 indicated so like no uh, yeah i would definitely dig down that rabbit hole that's that's a (laughs) he started the spanish-american war guys (laughs) Like, um, so yeah, but I mean, I understand what you're saying. If it's not inherently interesting going into you to begin with, it might be hard to get hooked on it because there's a lot of Easter eggs throughout the film again. Yeah. That's exactly how I felt. Like they just kept name dropping people and things that I'm like, I'm sure that Zach, you know, with his love of golden age, Hollywood is going to be like, what a cool Easter egg. But it was, it was like, it it was like being at a baseball game and I just went, woo. (laughs) Exactly. And I mean, I think the only thing, only reference I caught was like the Wizard of Oz one. And I was like, oh, I know that that one. Uh, Oh, and MGM and the talking about the lion. I was like, oh, yeah, I know that. (laughs) Ryan, the more I think about that line, it might be my favorite line in the movie. That fucking movie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I felt like kind of like what my friend did when she went to go see Infinity War with me without having seen any of the other MCU movies. It's like, here's all these people and all these things that you should care about, but you have no context for them whatsoever. Have fun. Yes. Yes. Guys, this is my end game. (laughs) Actually, I just thought of another line that's really great. And when he's having lunch and he's talking about the writer's guild, he says a bunch of writers and they didn't put an apostrophe after before the S. <laughs> oh, I like that too. <laughs> that was really funny. That's a funny line. That's that's a good moment. Also, this I'll, really quickly, the scene. One of my favorite scenes in the movie has to be when he talks to uh, his friend who helped create the um, anti-Upton Sinclair newsreel, um, and uh, you see that the you've, you discover that the man's got Parkinson's. And he starts doing, like, there's this slow creep in on, like, the shakes. And I'm like, this is just tense as shit. Uh, and then the line, when they're at the beach, and he's with Sarah at the beach, and they hear a person um, talking about how they're not going to vote for Sinclair. He goes, like, well, that's not, that's, that's not, that's not a downtrodden American. That's, that's so-and-so from, <laughs> from the studio. Like, they were pointing out, like, these, like, paid actors to do all this political campaigning and what it's it's really interesting and funny stuff for hollywood history perspective so yeah brad do you have anything you wanted to add i don't know i think i got it all uh, <laughs> it's okay let him have this <laughs> um yeah just uh yeah, yeah it's, it's hard to follow for me and um you know it, old men's performance is great. Like really everyone's performance is great. It's just hard to follow. And like, like I said, for about the first third of the movie, I didn't know like where the movie was going. And then by the second act, I was like, oh, okay, this is making a statement about um, the dangers of blending politics and Hollywood. And all of a sudden I get this like whiplash of the third act being like, oh, he just wanted credit for his script. Like, oh, and 
we're going back to this. Okay. So I felt the same way, Brad. I yeah. agree with you. <laughs> it's like, okay. Didn't see that coming. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, what, what was the conflict? What was the plot? It was just, he was writing a screenplay. Okay. I mean, not every movie needs a, like a specific plot. Like you can't, like there's great meandering movies, but you know, I'm not saying it was bad. I was just like, I was just surprised of like, I don't know where this is going. And these two things, it, it, it just changed into different things that I didn't, I not sure I would have gone there. Um, I, I, like, I, w- I wish they were, like you said, I wish they were just, it was just a movie about the dangers of mixing. You know, it's such a great offhanded comment, like to set up a movie where Mac is like, you know, you're a filmmaker. Why don't you, you know, like use your, the tools at your disposal to uh, get your point across or whatever. And, you know, he thinks it's a joke, but then it actually does real damage. Like that's a, uh, uh, like that would be cool. But then I, like, I also just want to see him and Orson Welles only just fighting constantly over the project. Yeah. So, well, I mean, like, I, it, again, if we're going from Meg's perspective, I mean, I guess part of it might be that the film should set up more that he has been relegated to a lot of uncredited rewrites. He was kind of an outcast. He had been hired by the Mercury Theater um, to write for the Campbell Soup Playhouse Theater um, radio show, uncredited, which most radio writers were at the time. So this is a point in his life where that's why he's fighting for that credit from his perspective, because he's lived this life where he's gotten tossed out of the, 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 the mighty castle. And so he wants people to know that he's the one who did this, Like that's a, that's a perspective that I can see from it. But again, that also falls into the like, okay, well, how do we discuss the perspective in regards to the actual story of citizen Kane's writing? Because this is not, solely it it's yeah. one angle on many angles so and even even the time jumps had me confused um like they even write the date on the screen and i was like is this how far back is this one and like where are we at now like what did the screen just say i can't remember i mean they're so, basically taking you from 34 to 39 but yeah it can be a little confusing if it keeps going like if it keeps popping up that text back and forth back and forth like it's a nice aesthetic to it but i understand it could, if it can be confusing yeah i mean if you're not paying attention and you miss that screen then you're just like you know where is this because there's the, the production you can't see the color so yeah a lot of those other cues are gone um so yeah just overall like a lot of the scenes are just vignettes of you know snappy dialogue to where i'm just like you know what are we doing here so I just realized, Corinne, and, uh, Corinne, it is my end game because it's got all my favorite superheroes in it and it's got time travel in it. <laughs> and actually, I was thinking, going back to the whole, like, it's framed the way that Citizen Kane is, except that Citizen Kane starts off with this whole, like, mystery of, like, you know, he, he said Rosebud, what is Rosebud, or who is Rosebud? Mm-hmm. And, of course, we, the audience, get the answer to that question at the end of the film. So you kind of have this like this little thing. It's like, this is going to pay off later. Like this is the little seed that gets planted that you're going to want to stick around to the end to find out who or what is Rosebud. But we didn't have that in this movie. So I was kind of like, why am I still watching it? There's nothing here. There's what, what payoff is there later? I guess that he's going to win and it's his Oscar. Okay, cool. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens as time goes on for for old Mank. Um, now I want Tom Hanks to be in a movie called Hank, and then apostrophe S. 
And it's just him on top of a table cheering. Um, oh, what are you watching next yeah. week? I have <laughs> no idea. Nothing um, I pick. <laughs> I, I was hoping that uh, Ma Rainey was out, but that's next week um, or the following week. What's the um, other one people are waiting for other than Wonder Woman? Oh, there, there's one coming out on Amazon, isn't there? <sighs> you, you guys made some things like I like two things we need to see before Film Explosion. Was it just Mank? Am I just like that far behind? I think Mank was the only one I pitched for, but I know there's – Ma Rainey would have been one, but there's another one. God damn it. Um, yeah, there's that. Or I mean, I want to see The Fat Man with Mel Gibson. I mean, yeah. I don't know if anybody else wants to. I mean, I mean it's about yeah. a kid who hires a hitman to kill – Santa, so I mean, yeah, also Mel Gibson, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Um, Corinne, is there something you've been wanting to watch? Oh, she's not here. Um, we never did get around to watching The Old Guard, but that came back, that was out in July, so it's not necessarily new. I mean, I, I don't mind watching it, yeah, I'll it. watch, I'll watch The Old Guard, yeah, all right. It's settled. Yeah. So say we all, we all. (laughs) Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Now say bye 200 times. Fuck. (laughs) I I, I didn't mention this. This is officially the start of volume 10 of the Real Nerds podcast. So, 10 volumes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day.